Awesome. Thank you so much, worship team. Sure appreciate that. That was, that was fire. That was so good. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Nick, and um, I lead high school ministry here, but I also lead the eighth grade guys. So shout out to the eighth grade boys. Love you guys. Stoked you're here. Um, as we begin tonight, uh, we're actually starting week two of a teaching series that Luke kicked off last week called Life's Big Questions. Um, big, we got big questions. I mean, life's a big deal, and throughout life, we have all sorts of questions. So I want to start with a question that I think probably has ran through your mind um, at some point in life, if not every single day. And here's the question that I want you to ask yourself. You don't have to just think in your mind's eye, answer this question. To me, what is the good life? To me, what is a good life? What is a well-lived life in this world? Like, what is a life that leaves people in their last days satisfied in the life that they have lived? What's a good life? For a lot of people, the good life is about uh, success, right? You could say, man, I want to be successful. Like, you have a good job, stable income, you know what I'm saying? And we all kind of think that that's inevitable. Like, at some point, we will go to school. We will get a good job. It'll, it'll be great. Um, we have money. We have maybe, maybe for you, a good life is like, dude, frequent vacations. One day, I'm going to do that. Um, maybe for you, it's like I have a lot of followers and a really, really good reputation. People know about me. Maybe for you, the good life is like, dude, I know I'm doing good when I have good grades, and a lot of you are like, that is true, and I don't live a good life right now. <laughs> Got bad grades. Maybe for you, the good life is like the ability to, 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 to work out, to have a, or the, uh, you got a good physique, you know, you look good, you're easygoing. Maybe the good life is like just stress-free, easygoing, laughter, weekends filled with tons of people that, that I love being around, filled with adventure, free from stress and anxiety and the worries of this world. When you think about a really good life, a well-lived life, what comes to your mind? Like, if I just did this, then I think I'd live a good life. Last week, Luke opened up with a phenomenal message talking about intelligent design. How many of you guys liked last week's message? Yeah, all right. It was, it was super good. It was super good. He talked about intelligent design or the fact that we are put here on purpose. It is no accident. It's no accident that things happened the way that they happened and all of a sudden humanity is here. There was an intelligent designer behind it all. Um, and if there is a creator, then there is a way. There is a life. There is a design. There is a way in which humanity flourishes that we're actually called to live. There... Uh, just like any created thing in this world, the designer has a purpose for its creation. Does that make sense? When you create something, you have a vision in mind for what that thing is supposed to do in order to flourish. A car is made to drive, right? Art is made for beauty, right? A, a bowl is made to hold something. And you get to choose. If you're the creator, you're like, this bowl is for my dog's water, right? Like, that is what I created for it to do. Just like we create things for a purpose, God created humanity to function in a particular way. And if you're thinking, man, my life doesn't feel like it's flourishing, it might be because you haven't read the owner's manual in such a way that you're living into the way that the creator created you to live. It's a long sentence. There's a particular way of life that will actually lead your life into a flourishing reality. Isn't that exciting? Like, when I hear that, I go, dude, well, I want in on that life. Did you know that you were created to flourish 
by living in a particular way. The problem with this concept of the good life is that everyone has their own version um, of what the best life is. And not only that, not only do you have your own version, but society, our culture, has a vision for you on this is what the good life looks, for, looks like for you. Um, and, and they actually pay really, really smart people who are developing products and convincing you to believe that owning their product or buying what they are selling will actually lead you into the good life. Did you know a lot of people have an idea of what your best life is? And usually it's self-serving. They're like, your best life is if you... Let, let me give you some examples. Go ahead and throw this up there, Jesse May. A corona and palm trees. Huh. A corona and calm seas. And a bomb breeze. And some long knees, strong like a tongue squeeze. You'll say, aw oh, geez, when I make your lawn freeze. Was that good? No. It was incredible. Oh. Lee Bad. Oh. But this, this is good. Yeah. That's the good life. Right? What's the, what's the vision that it's telling you here? It's like, drink this, and this is going to lead. It's basically like you're having a good time with Snoop-a-loop. You know what I'm saying? Snoop Dogg. Like, but did you know to, to every life that society gives you, there's always a dark side. What's the dark side of this? Addiction, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's a good life, come on. But how many of you know that this really good thing has actually wreaked havoc on many, many people in this world? Um, let's go to that next one here, uh, Jesse May. Just... I found a happy place, it's written so on happy. my face. We're singing, we're singing. Cute, happy family. Ooh, skills. Everybody's place. having a great time. Flirting, aw, love. With ingredients like roasted hazelnuts, skim milk, and cocoa, there's a whole lot of happy in every jar of Nutella. Spread the happy. So Nutella has a vi vision of the good life for you, and what are they saying? Dude, buy our product. Your, your family's going to wake up in the morning. You're all going to be happy. It's going to be a great time. You're going to be like that guy that's like, ah. Oh. Or you, you might be in like a, a coffee shop that's like flirting over the table like, ah. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Um, but what's the dark side of, of this vision? The devil? <laughs> yeah. Nutella's the devil. That's no. Diabetes. For, no, I'm just kidding. But like, does Nutella really give you that much happiness? How many of you have had Nutella and you're like, that's literally been my life? Okay, maybe some people are convinced. You've fallen into the trap. Okay, let, let's do this one. Th this next one is uh, actually, Jesse May, let's not do the next one. Let's do the, the fourth one here. Let's, let's skip down to this one. Payday just came early. Happiness. Ooh. When your money's good, you feel good. Nice. Early payday, fee-free overdrafts, no monthly fee. It's banking the way it should be. Chime, the number one most loved banking app. Okay, if you use Chime, you're basically going to get these notifications all the time that says your pay actually came early. And every person on there is like, bling, ooh, right? I got my money. But what about everybody who actually doesn't get paid? You know what I'm saying? And then the dark side is, of this is it's so funny. It says, um, like, it'll notify you when you get paid, but then it says fee-free overdrafts. What about the time that it goes, bling, you've overdrafted your account, right? 
That's the dark side of it. That's not reality. If you sign up with Chime, I hate to tell you, you ain't going to be rich with a bunch of... Uh, with a bunch of notifications that said you got paid early, okay? They have a vision for the good life. Um, and the world bombards us with vision after vision of the good life. The problem is that their vision of the good life really isn't the good life. It's not that good. Like, take a step further. Yes, the world is like marketing the good life that is false, but actually the adversary... The enemy, as the scripture puts it, is prowling around looking to devour you or devour someone like a lion. And, and get this, this is what the, the, the scriptures say about the, the, uh, the adversary or the enemy. He is a king of lies. He's a liar. Say that. He's a liar. And here's what the scripture says about it. It says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. His native tongue is lying, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I wonder if we are constantly being lied to about what the good life truly is. Have you ever felt duped? Like, I really thought that that would lead to flourishing in my life, and actually it just really was terrible for my life. You ever been in that boat? We're like, I thought the grades would do it. I got the grades. Still not fulfilled. I got the girlfriend, still not fulfilled. I, got, I, I won that game. I, I was crushed in football, still not fulfilled. You know what I'm saying? We are in a spiritual battle where Jesus gives us the plain truth about a good and flourishing life. And at the same time, we are being fed lie after lie after lie. And, and this lie um, will actually lead to destruction. Um, and I, I'm sure you've heard this before. And I want to bring it up because I think it's so true. The worst lies are partial truths. The worst lies are just partial truths, right? They're just sort of lies. Like flat out lies are often easy to identify. Um, and, but these are partial truths, partial lies are a little tricky. Like a lot of the things the world offer us might actually give us a sense of happiness for a minute. Maybe you're like, oh, I got the, the new car. Like I got my driver's license. Oh, that feels so good. Um, but does that fulfill you really? It's like this partial truth. Um, and it, it will not actually fulfill you the way that, that you think that it, it, it might fulfill you, the way that you thought that it was intended to fill you. So luckily for us, we have instruction for the good life. We've actually been handed instructions, and the scripture is packed full of instruction after instruction. It's tried and true. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and, and it's full of wisdom. It's full of stories. And it's unapologetic about those truths. And it kind of flies in the face of the life that we live. So um, the scriptures are constantly offering us options for a good life or options for a life of destruction. And, and here, here's a couple of those verses that I want to share with you. Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate. There's this little tiny gate. Go through that one. Um, for wide is the gate. There's another gate. And broad is the road that leads to destruction. Everyone's on it. It looks wide open. It looks very clear. The path is well beaten. And boom, people are going on that. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. There's two options here. One life leads to destruction. One life leads to um, true life. And then... Uh, Big, get that big, big gate, big path, destruction, little gate, little path, life. Okay. Matthew 7, uh, later on in that, in that uh, chapter. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, Luke mentioned this earlier, is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain came. Ooh, this is kind of like the, ver or the song we just sang. Rain came when blue and beat against the house. 
Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words, this is the other option, hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the winds rose, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. And this is so enticing because you know what a house built on the sand is? It's a beach house. You ever been to a beach house and you're like, dude, those are so sick. They're all modern. They're right there. They could get crashed down on at any moment. You know what I'm saying? They're so enticing. But it's like, listen, this lifestyle is enticing. It actually looks like a little vacation for a while. But trust me, you do not want to be there when the storm comes. Today, we're going to spend our time in another one of these options where you have two options and it's in Psalm 1, the very first Psalm. I've heard it said like this, the Psalms are man's words to God that have become God's words to man. So it's, most of them are written by David, and he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this, like this poetry written to God, and God actually takes it, and he goes, listen, this is going to be instruction and teach you how to pray. This is actually a prayer that we're going to be reading today. Psalm 1 is an amazing, like, poetic explanation of the flourishing life. And here we go, Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whether they, uh, whatever they do prospers. That's nice. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, Two options there, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I want you to see real quick, this, this term right here, blessed is the one, is actually really, really hard to translate into English. And, and this is more accurately what it means. Oh, how happy is the one, or oh, the good life belongs to the one who blank, or the one who does not blank. Oh, how happy. This is the good life. All those advertisements, not the good life. The, word, the living word of God gives us the good life, the, the truly good life. And I'm going to double dog dare you later to take that seriously and lean into it. So the psalmist gives us two paths, one to the good, the blessed life, and one that leads to destruction. And we start with the negative. Um, basically, what a good life does not look like. And, and the good life looks like this, refusing to walk with the wicked to shout at the devil, no, stand in the way of sinners and sit in the company of mockers. And, and as I was researching this, I kind of nerded out for a second, and I want you to see the Hebrew words or the Hebrew definitions for these three. The first one is this, the wicked. It's the Hebrew word there, and it means people who are hostile to the ways of God. The ways of God are brought up, and they're like, nope, I'm against that. I want nothing to do with that, my way or the highway. I don't care. Jesus is not Lord. The next one is this, sinners, is a, that's a, pers- a person that is currently living criminally or against the ways of God. That's literally what that term means. And this is the most unique one, and it is mockers, which this comes from the word Lilith, which was a name of a female goddess known as a night demon who haunts the desolate places of Edom, um, a nocturnal animal that inhabits desolate places or a screeching owl. So like, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that is the term for this word. And when we go about our daily life, walking, standing, sitting, in other words, when we do our daily life, when we're integrated around people that live such a way, 
When we look no different from the world, it is a sure sign that we are not living the good life. When we are not living any differently than the world, when we're integrated with people of the world, it is a sure sign that we are not living the good life. It will eventually lead to destruction. And this begs me to ask the question here, in what ways is your life different from that of a non-Christian? In what way or ways does your life look different? For those of you who claim Jesus as Lord, can you take an honest assessment of your life and say, my life looks distinctively different because Jesus is king of my life? Because there's a good and better way than the mockers, the sinners, the, the scoffers, right? Followers of Jesus live distinctively different than a person who doesn't call Jesus the Lord of their life. I remember this was a sobering reality. When I was in high school, I found out this kid was a Christian in my class, and, and he found out I was a Christian, and what he said was, I didn't know you were a Christian. And in his excitement, and, and like, he's really relieved, there's another Christian in my class, but I like a slap to the face because I'm like, we've been going to school for four years and you didn't know I was a Christian. That is so sad. I must not have been living distinctively different. And I'm so sorry I never shared Jesus with you. I should have known that you were a Christian because I was talking to you about that. We are called to live distinctively different. But I can't say that without saying the ways of the world, though, we're called to live different, but the ways of the world are pretty enticing. Can we just be honest about that? Like, when I first read, like, what wicked and sinners and scoffers, I'm like, totally, I don't want to be around people like that. But in the world, it doesn't really look like a screeching owl. It looks a lot more alluring than that. When this text talks about hanging with the wicked, the sinners, the mockers, it's obvious you wouldn't want to do that. And if I saw somebody that kind of fit that description, I'd go, nope, right? But those who are wicked, those who are sinners and mockers, oftentimes have a very appealing life that we just need to be honest about. The language makes it sound like we wouldn't want to go down that road, but the reality is it gets a little tricky. The way of the world is alluring. And maybe some of you are sitting in here and you're like, dude, I've fallen into the trap. I've actually been going down some of these paths and it hasn't been fulfilling me and I don't know what to do because I thought it, like, it promised something better for my life and it's not fulfilling me the way that I thought it would. And a psalmist, uh, another psalmist, this isn't David, but he wrote this psalm that I think really hits home for people that are in this boat. Listen to what he says, Psalm 73. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. So he was in this place where he was seeing the, the successfulness of the world, and he was seeing how difficult it is to live like Jesus. He was seeing the allurement of living like the world. He said this, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he looked out at the world and went, dang, I want some of that. Like, I want whatever that person has. I want to live that life because it looks so good. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I'm like, give me some of that. They have no struggles, verse 4 says. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens, and they are not plagued by human ills. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. The psalmist here is venting that he almost fell into a trap. The people are living, maybe you've been here, people are living contrary to the Lord, and their lives are prospering. Have you ever seen that? where you're like, Jesus, I have literally been like giving you my life like as a burnt offering. Like here I am. These people are living so contrary to you 
and their lives are much better looking than mine. What the heck is going on here? This is the same thing the psalmist is doing. Um, They seem to be strong. They seem to be healthy. They don't have burdens. They seem to be carefree. Like they're walking all, Luke Luke, Luke used this word last week, willy-nilly into school. Like this is great. Let's go to school. And people are being seduced into that lifestyle because they're like, however they're living seems to be working. But the writer of this has to remind himself that although their lives look appealing and desirable, it leads to destruction. Although it's appealing and although it's like, ooh, I want to get in on that, make no mistake, it leads to destruction. The way of the wicked isn't that obvious to identify in our world today. Sometimes living for the self or living a wicked life may seem very appealing. It may seem fun, even fulfilling, But make no mistake, it's going to lead to destruction both in this life, but for sure the next. And I want you to to take note of the progression here. This is crazy. When it says walking in the way of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, and sitting um, in the way of the scoffers, that's the word, one commentator notes it like this, the way of destruction will eventually immobilize you. The ways of destruction will first immobilize you. This is, this is crazy. I, I, I hadn't noticed this, but I think it's true to the text. What you were once walking to engage in and could easily turn around and walk away from, you've, you've meandered, you were walking, and then you go, you're walking by it. Oh, that's a way of the world that seems, I don't know. Then you're standing before you know it, if you're sitting in the way of this, these people, you're not going anywhere anytime soon. Do you see what I'm saying? I wonder where some of you are. Maybe you're walking by some of these visions of the good life, and you're just taking a look, and you can turn around. And I wonder how many, how many of you have, have gone from walking past some of these things to kind of standing in their presence and going, hmm, looks pretty enticing. And I wonder how many of you have been seated in the ways of, of this world, and you, you've simply, you simply cannot just stand up without some help. You can't stand up and walk away because there's a, there's a lot that has to, like, you're built, your life is built around that. You're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to get some energy, and you're going to have to peace out. Does that make sense, guys? It will immobilize you, first immobilize you. And I know we've said this before, but I think it's important to bring up again. Uh, this just, it, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to try to use a cool word that you guys think is cool, but I look stupid and old when I say it. So. This is a really good quote. Sin always takes you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's just the reality of it. It'll take you further than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. What has been capturing your attention? What's truly, what has been capturing your attention? Like what kinds of things are you lingering around or dabbling in that you know for sure will not lead to life? What things may be promising life and you know it cannot fulfill its promises? It's like, dude, try it. it it's legit. No, it, it's not going to fulfill its promises. Here's a couple of keys to the good life. A key to the good life that we must understand is this truth. We're going to shift gears a little bit. The good life isn't based solely on circumstances. The good life is not based solely on circumstances. It's easy to believe that we would live a flourishing life if only my circumstances changed. Maybe you've been thinking that as I've been talking. You're like, if only my relationship status changed, that would be good, right? Or if I got the grade that I needed, right, then then it would be better. Or if my parents stopped fighting, then it would be a good life. 
Like, just eliminate struggle or difficulty or pain from me. And I hate to break it to you that difficult circumstances are inevitable for every single person in this room. They're inevitable. And even death, I mean, the death rate of humanity so far hovers right around 100%, right? No one has made it out of this place alive. So no one makes it out of this place unscathed. So, so believing that escaping difficult circumstances will lead you to the good life is a lie. So if you're experiencing bummer circumstances, did you know you can have a good life in the midst of those circumstances? Um, I love this book. If you want to know more about this book, Bob's been reading it. You can pick his brain on it. But it's this book Tim Keller wrote called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And listen to how he puts it. He says, the modern approach to happiness or the good life is to remove any and all suffering. That's the, that's the way the world thinks, like avoid pain or if you can't, sedate it. Eliminate disease, discomfort, and injustice. And these are good and worthy goals, but no amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Let's pray. No, no life will escape the ine- inevitability of difficulty in this world. And I know every one of you are sitting here and go, I can vouch that that's true because it's true for me. I've had some difficult days. If our vision for the good life is based on the elimination of bad circumstances, we will be sorely disappointed. What if the good life could actually be experienced while circumstances around us are less than ideal? Wouldn't that be so nice? Isn't that so nice? Like you could get the call that the most tragic thing ever happened and you can go all is well with my soul because the Lord has got me. This is tragic. I don't know what's going on. Finances, family, whatever it is. And I have a firm foundation on the one who will lead me to the good life now and forever. What if the good life could actually be experienced when our circumstances are crazy around us? What if the foundation in Christ could actually brave any storm? Our culture tries to find ways to be happy. We talk about happiness. And you know, I think the person that wants you most happy is God. And I think he knows the best way to make you happy. Because there used to be this phrase for a long time in Christian culture that was like, He's more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. But I think that when we live a holy life, it actually leads to the happiest life. I think they're one and the same. It's not like, okay, just be holy. It's not going to be happy. You ain't going to have a good time. Just be holy. No, 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 no. Be holy, and I think it will lead to happiness. Um, Google autocomplete. I just started typing in and found this the other day. If you just start typing something, it'll give you suggestions, right? And I said, how to become, and the third one down, happy. The culture has a lot of ideas on how to become happy, and here they are, the top eight ways to become happy in our culture. Number one, be optimistic. Just be, so, so what if your life is a huge mess with no promise that anything will change in the future? Just look at the bright side. It's good advice. This is sarcasm, by the way. Um, number two, follow your gut. It's like, where the heck, that's going to take me straight to the bathroom, right? Like, follow Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Like, what, what does the Bible say about the heart? It's deceitful above all else, but follow your heart. It's going to deceive you, but follow that. We all know what happens when we just follow our heart, and it does not lead to flourishing. Um, the third one here, I love this, own yourself. And meaning, meaning this, don't apologize for who you are because you're awesome. 
And I think that God would first and foremost say you're awesome because you're his creation. But owning yourself, no, let the creator own you, right? Like, but the, the reality is, what if you're not that awesome though? <laughs> own yourself. It's like, you're not that awesome. You actually have some serious issues that need addressing. Just own it, okay? No. Um, four, make enough money to meet basic needs. That will make you happy, right? Well, wh what if you can't, though? What if you can't? What if you lose your job? And, and do you know how many people know really, really unhappy, wealthy people, right? It's not like meet your basic needs and you'll be happy. No, I know people who have their basic needs met and well beyond and still are unhappy. Number five here, treat your body like it deserves to be happy. Like some people um, don't have control of that, you know, when it comes to illnesses, when it comes to disease and the nature of our broken world. Also, if I treated my body like it deserves to be happy, it would be filled with ice cream and burritos all day, every day, right? Like it deserves to be happy. This feels good, right? Number six, stay close to family and friends. Um, for some people, this simply isn't possible um, due to like brokenness or confusing dynamics. But what if your friends and your family are the very source of unhappiness in your life, right? It's like, oh, I'm very unhappy with my family and friends, but this thing has told me to go just cling on to them. It might be unhealthy. Seven, have deep, meaningful conversations. Um, what if you don't have deep friendships, right? I think this is true, but if, have you ever just walked into a coffee shop and met a random person and tried to have a deep, meaningful conversation? Doesn't go very well. Yes, it didn't go well, did it? And my all-time favorite, number eight, give it up for this one, smile. Yeah, if all else fails, just fake it, put a smile on. Like, you don't, like, you know, I was, I was really struggling in this life, and the thing that helped me is I just started, like, smiling a ton. You should, you should try it. It really worked for me. Um, and here's the question I want to ask you with all that. Is your happiness dependent on your happenings? Is your happiness or is your joy or is your fulfillment determined or like dependent on the circumstances in your life? You and I need something greater, deeper than circumstances. We need roots to go deep into something that can endure winter, spring, summer, fall, right? In a, in a letter um, or in the letter of Psalms or a later Psalms, not the letter of Psalms, um, David wrote this. I love this verse. He says, you put, this is to God. He says, you put more joy in my heart um, than, they, than they have when their grain and their wine abound. So he's basically saying this. I have more joy in God than people who have all the wine and the grain. And when their circumstances are just right, my circumstances can be terrible and I'll still have more joy than them. Like, look at the people that are really vibing. Like, I'm better than that when I have God on my side. And I love this. I, I found this earlier this week. I want you to hear this. For the Christian, seasons of drought actually can deepen your joy because those seasons drive your roots to go deeper into Christ. It's in seasons where Christ is all you have, you discover he is all you need. What a gift that is. It's in seasons when Christ is all you have that you realize he is truly all you need to live the good life. The psalmist uses imagery, back to Psalm 1, of trees with roots, a tree that is, that is anchored, and, that is, that, um, and this attacks one of our, our, our cultural myths head on. And here it is. Um, our cultural myth is this. You will be happy when you answer to nobody, when you are free to make your own rules, and you define your own meaning. It's like true meaning. That's what our culture will say. Like, you do you. C.S. Lewis um, compared this to a fish that decides he wants to be free 
by escaping the confines of water. So he flops out of the ocean. True, he is now free from the confines of water, but is he happier? Absolutely. No, he's not. Because the fish was made for water, you and I were made for God. A, a tree without roots brings us, me and Luke back to our baker days, is a tumbleweed, right? In a tumbleweed, it might be freer than a tree, but is it happier? No. <laughs> I, don't, I actually have no idea if it's happy. But a life the way that God intended, get this, a life the way God intended his creation to exist and flourish in is a life that delights in and meditates on the things of God. Delights in the things of God, thinks about the things of God, meditates on the things of God, revisits the things of God, memorizes the things of God, recites the things of God, talks to people about the things of God, prays to God about the things of God. Do you get the picture? A flourishing life is a life lived with God in plain view. With God in plain view. That's a flourishing life. How do I live a flourishing life? Keep God in plain view. No matter what. What's your circumstance? God in view. I need to go to a college, I need to figure this out, God in plain view. Should I date this person? God in plain view. That is what a flourishing life looks like. That's what anchors you and roots you down. When we live life in light of eternity, when we live life in light of Philippians 4, like the Philippians 4 mentality, our lives begin to take shape in that direction. And listen to this verse, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Finally, brothers, sisters too, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on, meditate on such things. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. What is the good life according to you? Does this vision line up with the good life laid out in Scripture? Is your vision of the good life that Christ is in plain view? How can we close that gap? Maybe you're like, dude, I, I don't know. That's honestly when somebody says, what is a good life? I think of a lot of other things than like Christ in plain view. This is the classic, Jesus is the answer. No, this is so much bigger than that. The good life requires putting on and taking off. There's always this language in scripture throughout scripture. It's like putting on, I love new clothes, right? And taking, taking off the old, you know? And, and the scripture's flooded with this. Um, and, and here's a couple. Well, one of those is putting on the armor of God. We, we, we strap up, right? We put on the armor of God. Colossians 3 also talks about putting something on. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. The flourishing life clothes, clothes, clothes itself with something different. It's, it's like, do you know, like, kind of our fashion is sort of like an identity thing in our culture, right? Well, same with, with what people, the people of God clothe themselves with. And it ain't clothes. Here's what it is. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. That, that's a tough, tough reality, but we do, we put on this. We, we bear with one another. We forgive whatever grievances we have against one another. We forgive as the Lord has forgiven. And then we take stuff off. Ephesians has a great line here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and gossip be put away from you, along with all malice. Like we, we have to rid ourselves. The flourishing life rids ourselves of these things. What vision of the good life are you pursuing right now? What kind of things are you running towards hoping it gives your life meaning and purpose and fulfillment? Truly. Can I just straight 
Be, be straight up. Um, there are amazing joys and accomplishments and experiences in this world that are worth running after. There really are. Like accomplishments that I've seen you guys pursue, like sports achievements, grades, all sorts of stuff that I'm like, I'm so stinking proud of you. There are things that are good, right? And, and will bring you happiness, but don't miss this. Nothing will give your life meaning and purpose like a life built on the foundation that is Christ. Nothing. Nothing will satisfy your soul like that. Nothing will lead you into the life that you've always wanted like a life lived for the very one who created you. I want you to hear me. I hope this, this changes something in you and shifts something in you. I, I, pray, I seriously pray to God that what happens in this room tonight actually shifts you, your life for eternity. Where you're like, you know what? Some random dude stood up there and said, build your life on God, and I went and did it. Like, you are God's handiwork, which means po poyame, I don't know, it, it means workmanship, it means poem, you're his masterpiece, his art piece. He knows best how he made you and created you to live. And if you want to know more about it, it's right here. Can I challenge you to live in his direction? Live in his direction. What's a flourishing life? Living in his direction, being rooted in him. And can I dare you, go to great lengths, the greatest lengths as possible, to live exalting the Lord and giving him glory and keeping his face in view through every twist and turn of this life. If you do this, I believe you will truly find the good life that God created you to live into. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much that, that you have given us the truth, the truth that a flourishing life is found with you in plain view. God, give us boldness to strip things off of our lives that are holding us back from this vision and help us to clothe ourselves, help us to surround ourselves with community that can encourage the best in us. God, we truly want life and we're not gonna give up until we get it now. We want true life now and we want to see that come to fruition when we, we are with you in eternity. So help us to be people who not only have the good life and surround our people or surround ourselves with people who have the same vision, but may we be spreaders of what a really good life looks like. We want the world to know you, so we just make ourselves available to you. Be, be in our discussion groups tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.